like I've said, the Christian life is an adventure. I mean, it, it truly is. I, I, I have lots of people growing up. I've had youth group kids when I was a youth pastor try and tell me that if you're a Christian, you forsake having fun in life. That if you're a Christian, then you just become this boring person. And, and in no uncertain terms have I ever lived a boring life, ever. And it is truly an adventure. We are on a journey in life. I mean, you know, the, the weather in Wyoming is a journey, right? It changes almost hourly. Our lives are the same way. We never know what's going to happen or what's going to come up. We're on a journey. We are all in a process. There's a family here who has been on an adventure and on a journey. And James, I I appreciate the the message you sent me yesterday. Um, uh, It's been a privilege to be your pastor. And uh, James and Tara are leaving us. They don't like us anymore. No, that's not true. Um, they're, they're moving to Newcastle. Um, James has completed his training. I'm assuming graduation is this weekend, this next weekend. Um, uh, James is going to be a Wyoming state trooper. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I don't think that the Wyoming patrol cars say to protect and serve on the side, but um, that is what he's, he's committing, that's what he's going to do. That's his job. And, and in his little note to me, he said, um, uh, so whenever you come through Weston or Crook County, um, you can count on, how did you, how did you put that? Um, you said something like, you will take care of me. Uh, I'll look after you, that's what he said, in a good way, of course, you know. Um, so only drive the speed limit through Weston and Crook Counties, because uh, you might get to see James um, in his new job. Um, uh, Lord bless you guys as you move on to this, this next phase in your life. And, uh, and I know we have others in this room who are, who are struggling with this next step in their life. It's like, you know, you, you thought you knew where you were going and it seems that some doors have been closed and it's like, well, Lord, okay, what next? Um, you know, and, and we're all, we all live our lives many times in that way. It's like, Lord, is this you? Um, and, and what we hear today, um, I think, uh, is the answer to whatever any of us do with our life. It doesn't matter what, what you do or, or how you, um, what you do as a job. Um, today's message uh, will be true for all of us. Now, uh, as I was preparing for this, I thought it would be a, a good idea to post a question on Facebook and get a few comments um, as, to, as to far as this question right here. I asked this question. Um, what makes it hard for you to serve other people? I put that on Facebook this week, and I had 14 people respond, and, and many of, uh, many of the, well, all of them, very honestly, some of them um, very transparently um, talked about why it is hard for them to serve. Now, I didn't give any sort of definition to serve. I just said, what makes it hard for you to serve other people? And they kind of came to their own conclusion as to what I was meaning. One person answered it this way. They said, It is hard for me to serve because my job is service-related. It is hard for me to find motivation to serve outside of work. So this person, you know, says, I serve all day long. That's what I do. And in their mind, they're feeling guilty because they're not serving outside their work. And my question is, should they really be separate? You know, it it seems to me like the, the guilt is there for no good reason. Um, the, the question is, what is behind the service at your work? And that can be true for many of us. Somebody else said, um, self-centeredness or selfishness makes it hard for me to serve other people. 
Um, it's hard for me to serve... Wait a minute, I skipped up. Uh, people's attitudes. Fear of rejection. Or being taken advantage of. I'm fearing a fear of failing them. A fear of serving someone in some way, shape, or form and not meeting up to their expectations as far as what they were expecting. Um, that makes it hard for people. Another person said, thinking they would not appreciate what, quote, I was doing for them. Okay? And then my all-time favorite uh, response to this question of what makes it hard for you to serve other people, a one-word answer, it was this, people. It's true. It's true, isn't it? Um, now, I don't have a lot of time this morning. I have to get hopping, so we're going to move on to our passage. Mark chapter 10, turn there with me if you would. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. And if you didn't bring a Bible, grab one from underneath the seat in front of you. It's page 1002, if you don't know where the book of Mark is. Page 1002 in the Bible underneath the seat in front of you. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. And we're going to start with point number one. And point number one is this. What discipleship is all about? What discipleship is all about? And we find that here in this first verse, verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. I love this verse. Uh, I, I, I love this verse. It, it, this is the discipleship journey. This is the process that we are all a part of right here. First of all, it says Jesus was leading them. Jesus is their leader. He's their teacher. He, he's guiding them. Um, they're going where He wants them to go. They're doing what He wants them to do. Jesus says, do this, go there. They do this and they go there. Jesus is leading. Then we come to this statement where it says, and the disciples were astonished. And it's the twelve disciples right there. It says, the disciples were astonished. Now the Greek word here for astonished is thambeo. Okay? It means terrifying amazement. Terrifying amazement. Now, um, I think that is a cool phrase. Have you ever been terrifyingly amazed at something? Um, I think that if I were in the seat of the space shuttle when it was still launching, and I was launched in the space shuttle out into space, I would be terrifyingly amazed. It would be so awesome but terrifying all at the same time, right? I, I think that's where, that's where the 12 disciples were. They don't know what's coming in the future. They don't know what's going to happen, but they know that they can trust Jesus Christ. They will obey Him. They will do what He wants them to do. Um, but, but there's just so much unknown out there into the future. Uh, thambeo. Now, the Greek word used in the next part there, so Jesus is leading. The 12 disciples are, are astonished while those who followed were afraid. So you had Jesus, you had the 12 disciples that He chose, and then you had a, a smattering of other people. I don't know how many it was, but other people that followed Jesus around. And it says that those who followed Him were afraid. Now, the Greek word used for afraid here is phobeo, which is where our word phobia comes from. Now, if you have ever had a phobia of something, you know that that phobia, if it's severe enough, keeps you from doing whatever it is you have the phobia of. Spiders, for instance. There are family members in my house that have phobias to spiders. You know, and I tell them, step on it. Oh, no, I can't do that. You know, they can't even step on it. They're afraid. They, um, and, and that's what the definition of phobia is. This is to, 
to put to flight by terrifying or to scare away. So here we have Jesus who is leading them. We have the disciples who are frighteningly amazed or astonished. They're still in it. They're still following, but, but just don't know what's coming. And then we have these people who I think this is the last time they, they follow Jesus right here because they're headed to Jerusalem. And these people were scared to the point of saying, you know what, I'm done. No more of this to me, for me. Um, and and that begs the question: Why were they following Jesus in the first place? Maybe they were, you know, maybe they were Jesus groupies, and they were just along for the ride for the show, quote unquote, that he was putting on. You know, he's feeding people, um, he's doing miracles, he's he's uh, he's walking on water, and and they are curious about this, and they're they're following after him. Uh, maybe it was the healing. But they were curious but not convinced enough to commit. They didn't quite get it. And I think there's probably people in here in this room this morning who that's where you are. You're curious enough to kind of come along, but, but you don't quite get it. You, you don't get it enough to where you're willing to commit, to surrender. And, and I want to tell you, um, I am thankful that you're here. And I want to encourage you to continue to come and seek the truth about who Jesus Christ is. Because you see, it's a process. It's a part of the journey. Continue to call out to God to answer the questions and the fears that you have. Don't give up because it's eternally important. Let's read on. Look at verse 32. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. What is Jesus doing here? He continues to teach his twelve disciples what's going to happen. He's preparing them. Um, and he teaches this over and over and over again. He's preparing them for the actual events that are going to happen in the future. We're going to go up to Jerusalem. I'm, I'm like thinking to myself, wow, that sounds like a fun party. Let's all go to Jerusalem and watch our master, the one who we've committed our lives to, get killed. But yet they go with him, don't they? They continue to follow him. And it's amazing to me that in just four weeks, in four weeks, we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. That's why they're going to Jerusalem. Foretold hundreds of years before, and now it's going to happen. Now it's going to happen. And when it does, nothing will be the same. And I say, praise the Lord, nothing was going to be the same again. Because we are living in that time. The time after Christ has come and changed the universe. For all of eternity. And in the midst of this divine moment that the disciples are experiencing, they have this fear, yet Jesus is kind of reassuring them, yet telling them the scary stuff that's going to happen. He's preparing them for this. At, behind the, uh, in front of the backdrop of all of that, we come to this part of the passage that blows my mind every time I read it. I cannot believe what James and John do here. Let's read it, beginning in verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, two of the twelve disciples, mind you, they've, they've been living and being taught by Jesus uh, to this day. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's a bit 
presumptuous, I think, to begin with. And then they don't stop there. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Just a little request. Can we have the best seats in the kingdom? In the, in the throne room? Us. James and John. And I, I, it just makes me want to go to James and John and go, what were you thinking? Really? You want the right and the left hand of God? Um, Jesus' response to them is, you do not know what you're asking. And we can shake our heads and go, whoa, they did not know what they were asking, right? Jesus says, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And, and scholars believe he's talking about right there his death and resurrection, what he's going to experience in those last hours. And unknowing what they're saying, James and John say, we can. Yeah, we could do that, Jesus. Sure. And I don't know if they were thinking sort of the celebratory kind of baptism and... Um, and drinking of the cup or what they were thinking of, but Jesus was talking about something totally different. And then Jesus says to them, um, you will drink the cup and drink, I drink, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. Meaning, you know what, guys? There is going to be a day in your life as a disciple where you are going to give your life for what I'm teaching you. Um. But, he says, to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. So number two, and we can all fall into this in one point in time in our life or another, James and John look out for themselves. James and John are looking out for themselves. They, they are um, they're looking for the best place to be. They're, they're looking for the position of power and prestige, the right and left hand of, of God. And it's not too subtle for James and John here. And Jesus continues to teach them that being a disciple is not about achieving the highest place in heaven. Being a disciple is not only being better than the next guy or trying to be better than him or her because we want better rewards or we want a higher status. That's not what it means to be a disciple. But oftentimes, we want the position of power or privilege. Now, verse 41 continues this account. And it says, When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They were ticked at James and John for saying this. Now, I'm wondering if they're ticked because they were actually, you know, really that humble. Or if they were ticked because they didn't think of it first. You know, they're like, hey, wait a minute. These guys are going to have the best seats. Why didn't I think of that? Jesus is always telling us to ask for whatever we want. Why didn't I ask for that? And, and it also makes me wonder if Jesus didn't think to himself, are these guys ever really going to get it? Are they ever going to figure it out? I mean, it's crunch time now. We are in the last minute of the fourth quarter. We're headed to Jerusalem. I'm going to be gone. And the twelve disciples right here before me who are arguing at this point, their, their, their voices are being raised and they're bantering back and forth. I wonder if Jesus is thinking, these are the guys I'm handing the keys to the kingdom to? 
Are they going to be able to handle it? Will they be able to accomplish what they need to? And I don't think Jesus was thinking that at all. You know, sometimes we think He thinks that about us. And we think, full of guilt, I'm such a failure. I'm terrible. I'm awful. How can Jesus forgive me? How can He accept me? How can He, how can he ask me to do anything when I fail at, at what I think He's asking me to do in the first place? Well, here's, here's the thing. It's a process. Were you angry at your kid when you were trying to teach them to walk and they fell down? No. What did you do? You picked them back up again. That's what Jesus does to us. He's teaching us. He's leading us. Now, James and John certainly were not smart. Were not smart in saying what they did and asking what they did. Um, Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter two, verses three and four. This, he says, should be our attitude. He says, "Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves." Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's not where James and John were operating from. Paul says this is where we should operate. And how do we operate from there? How do we get there? Because serving is done in humility. It's valuing others more than we value ourselves. That's hard to do in the culture that we live in today. Because our culture says it's all about me. Me, 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 me. Uh, just do it. It's my money. I want it now. And the, and the phrases go on and on and on. Thinking of only ourselves. And Paul and Jesus is saying, no, don't focus on yourself. Value others above yourselves. And, and we may think it's impossible, but it's not. It's not impossible. You see, we can grow in the area of being Christ-like in the area of discipleship and in the area of serving because number three, as disciples, we are a work in progress. We are a work in progress. I already mentioned this a little bit. Um, I'm going to quickly go through this point. The 12 disciples, they're in a process of growth. Jesus teaches them. He doesn't cast them out when they make mistakes and when they mess up. He continues to teach. Right here in verse, verse 42, I can imagine Jesus, again, the disciples are probably having a loud conversation. Um, the 10 are looking at, at James and John and saying, you guys are screw-ups, you know? And they're like, no, we're not. And, and it kind of... Um, accelerates from there. And then finally, Jesus is like, hey, 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 you guys, knock it off. Come over here. Sit down and listen to me. That's a loose paraphrase of verse 42. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus called them together and said this, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Hey guys, listen to me. It's not about positions of power. It's not about being better than the other guy. That's not what this is all about. In fact, he says, if, if you want to get people on your bad side, if you want people to not think highly of you, just act like the Gentile rulers do. They strong-arm people. They, they get those positions of power and they lord it over people. That's not the way we live, Jesus says. And this is what sets disciples of Jesus Christ apart from anyone else. At the source of all Christian service, point four in your, mess, in your sermon notes, at the source of all Christian service in the world is the crucified and risen Lord who died to liberate us into such service. That's it. 
That's why Jesus continues to tell them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be flogged, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to rise again. That is it. That is the undercurrent of every aspect of our life. Everything. The follow, the discover, the connect, the serve, every aspect is what Jesus is saying right here. Not so with you, he says in verse 43. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come to earth, did not come to be served. He has the position. He has the authority. He deserves our service. But that's not why He came. He came to serve. He came to serve. Now, um, as we grow as disciples, uh, our hearts are molded to this place where this just becomes a part of who we are. That, that, that fabric of Christ and who He is becomes so much a part of us that, that we then begin living that out. And it's a process. And it's at the far end of the process. It's a further along. Um, when, when, when we got married, uh, we would go to McDonald's and Cassandra, my oldest daughter, would, of course, have a Happy Meal. And I would have, you know, the Big Mac and the fries or whatever. And I don't know what Sarah would get. Um, we eat a lot healthier than that now. Some days. <laughs> and, and I noticed something about myself. You, you, you see, because all parents are selfless, Right? All parents are, are sacrificial in, in, in how they treat and train their kids. Um, Sarah pointed this out to me a few times. Um, Cassandra would reach over to grab a French, one of my french fries, and I would be like, fork, uh-uh. That is my french fry. I was that way with food, wasn't I? I mean, there were, Sarah's like, yeah. There were times, certain meals, where if my kid wanted something that I was eating, uh-uh, you ain't getting it. I'm sorry. Now, yesterday, we, we ate in Casper, and uh, Sarah and I had, we shared one, actually, and had a plate of fries, and I actually asked Brittany if he would like, she would like to eat french fries off my plate. I mean, I have now grown to the place where that's Okay. It's taken time. It's been a process. That's, that's our life. That's our spiritual journey. And we have to remember that. When you start feeling guilty for something, you need to check. You need to do a spiritual check and say, Lord Jesus Christ, is this guilt because I am actually guilty or is this guilt coming from Satan who is accusing me of something that's not actually true? And then, and then I want you to look at, and this is my last part before Pastor Ty comes up. Look at the word ransom there in that last verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. That word ransom, Jesus is expanding the meaning of His prediction of His death and resurrection to why He came, what His mission was. You see, the disciples and everybody else are um, they're prisoners. Uh, we're, we're prisoners in our sin. There's nothing we can do to free ourselves. And Jesus Christ came to pay the ransom. A ransom was a familiar image in Jewish and Roman and Greek cultures. It's familiar in our own. Somebody's kidnapped. They're held under their own 
um, under, their, under their will, what, what do the captors often do? They want a ransom. They want somebody to pay for that person's freedom. That's what Jesus did for us. He paid with His life for your freedom and for my freedom. Without Jesus Christ, we are dead men and women walking. We are headed straight to the electric chair. And you see, when Jesus came to the earth, He sat in that chair for you and for me. He took the pain. He took the death. And then He didn't stay dead. He had victory over it. He rose on the third day and He now offers forgiveness and grace to each and every one of us here. Titus 2, chapter, Titus chapter 2 verse 14 says it this way, Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. You see, we are not only set free, but we are purified from sin and are now eager to do good, it says. And here is the difference. Jesus Christ paid for your sin and for mine. He loved us first, and only because He loved us can we love. Only because we are forgiven can we forgive. Only because He served us can we serve others. And as we grow in our faith in Christ, that becomes more of a I want to than a I have to. We don't serve out of guilt. We serve the way that my dad used to say. He said, not because you have to, but because you get to. But dad, I don't want to do that. You don't have to do it. You get to do it. And you see, with Christ in us, that becomes our attitude. And it's not a negative, guilt-filled attitude. It is... I am so blessed by Jesus Christ. How can I help you? How can I serve you? I love you and don't want to see you go to hell. I have some great news for you. I would choose different words than those, probably. But the point is there. Because Jesus did, we can. It's a process of discipleship. From following to serving. And Pastor Ty is going to come and finish up the message on that truth. Well, I'm going to be very brief. Uh, if you're looking at your watch, uh, don't worry. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. At some point in all of our lives, as believers, we have to come to the conclusion that there's something more than being all about me. There's something more than just what I can learn, um, what I can gain, what I can, um, you know, arrive at. And... Instead, recognizing that we've been called to something that is much greater than ourselves. In fact, we've, uh, we, we, we looked at this idea of follow, and when Jesus calls his first disciples in Matthew chapter 4, he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's right. So from the very beginning, Jesus said, it's more than just about you guys. It's more than just about um, you know, me hanging out with you and you learning and you, uh, you know, becoming, you know, different people, changing your character and all this kind of stuff. From the very beginning, when Jesus calls them, he calls them to be a part of God's redemptive plan on the planet. But at the very end of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 28, he says, go therefore and make disciples. 
So this group of guys in Matthew chapter 4 are called to be a part of God's redemptive plan on the earth by saying, by Jesus saying, hey, come, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. That's the, that's the point. The point isn't just for you. The point is for you to be a part of God's redemptive plan here on the planet. And the last words of Jesus to these guys before he ascended into heaven was, now go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. This is what it was all about to begin with. This is why I called you, and now it's on you. And if you read through church history, you read about the stories of the disciples and how they gave their very lives to being a part of God's redemptive plan and serving other people. Now, that's, uh, that's the, the nuts and bolts of it. In fact, we define, we define serving um, in lots of different ways. And oftentimes when I say the word serve, you automatically jump to the idea of volunteering. They're just trying to get me to volunteer for some stuff. And actually, that's, that couldn't be further from the truth. We do want you to volunteer. It's a good thing to do. But the idea of serving is this, uh, from Philippians chapter 2. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. So the idea of discipleship is becoming more like Jesus. It's a process of becoming more like Jesus. And what are we, what are we striving to attain? What is the character of Christ it's that of a servant. And so as we, as we move towards that, as we move towards becoming more like Christ, our hearts are drawn to being a part of God's redemptive plan. See, serving isn't just volunteering. It's allowing the gospel to impact the life of someone else. It's about taking your focus off of yourself and serving someone else. How can I allow the gospel to make a difference in someone else's life? And that's what we're calling you to do. Um, I encourage you to watch the Second Look video this week because I think it really unpacks this idea a lot more. If you need a reminder about that, please mark that on your Connect card. There are DVD copies out in the lobby if you don't have internet access. And here's, here's how I would close. One of, the, one of the best ways that I think that we can have our hearts move towards serving other people is to see the gospel make a real difference in someone else's life. And one of the best ways that I've seen that this can happen is by going on a mission trip. And if you've never been on a mission trip, if you've never, you know, seen the gospel make a real difference in somebody's, somebody else's life, I think it could be a defining moment in your life. I think that it could be, you know, one of those, uh, you know, stake in the sand. This is a day when I actually saw it, not just about me, but it made a difference in somebody else's life. You're going to be hearing about some of those opportunities, um, but one of them is on April, the week of April 15th, Monday through Thursday, the 15th through the uh, 18th, I guess it would be, or the 17th. And uh, we're going to be going to Pine Ridge Reservation. We're going to be um, serving there on some building kinds of projects. If you'd like more information about that, you can write that on your Connect card. Love to send you some more information. Another great way to serve is to volunteer at camp. What an awesome way to see the gospel make a difference in the life of a child. Uh, that was a defining moment in my life when I got to experience that, helping a student at camp 
received Christ as their Savior. It was something I remember to this day. I could tell you almost everything about that conversation. It was wonderful. And so I would encourage you to be a part of this new adventure of Haven on the Rock and to serve in that way. Um, but whatever it is, here's, here's the heart of it. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And when you think about that on a scale of, you know, is it all about me? Or is it all about me making an impact in the kingdom of God with the gospel? You know, where are you out on that? And let's, let's um, spur one another on towards having our hearts be about other people. So as we close, Pastor David's going to come and uh, set up communion for us and invite the worship team to come forward and we'll, we'll close together. On your Connect card, there, there is actually one choice there that says, it's not about me, it's not about me. You can write as many it's not about me's as you want in there. Um, if, if that has been kind of a conclusion that you've had this morning, you feel like God has clearly kind of communicated that to you, check that. It's not about me. It's not about me. And, and this table that we come to is not about me. It's not about you either. Uh, it's about Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. Um, it is the backdrop of our learning and growing as disciples, this crucifixion and resurrection. It is the foundation of our service. Uh, it is behind the ordinances that Jesus left for us to follow. A communion is one of those ordinances, and it is significant. We are, we are told to remember Jesus Christ, to remember His broken body and His shed blood. Uh, so this morning as we celebrate communion, we find in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three and 26, Paul quotes Jesus. Paul says, For I, Paul, received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, you don't have to be a member of North Hills to take communion. This is not about a church, it's not about you, it's not about me. It's about celebrating and recognizing. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whose body was broken and who shed every drop of blood that he had. So if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, partake. Join us. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, just simply let it pass. That's okay. Again, I'm thrilled that you're here and that you're engaging in this journey and this process. But let the place pass. And there's one more reminder. I think just maybe a couple more months uh, we'll have to do this reminder, but it's about this habit that we're trying to break, um, that habit of breaking our cups. And if you've been uh, a part of North Hills for some time, you'll know what that's about. If you haven't, no worries. Don't worry about it. Um, it's just a habit that we're trying to break. Um, so refrain from breaking your cup. His body... His blood shed for us. As we pass this basket and this plate, grab a piece of bread and a cup and then think and pray, celebrate, and then partake. Lord Jesus, thank you. Such simple words and it seems so... They just fall short. 
but that's all I have is thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for adopting us as your children. We celebrate in Jesus' name.